0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hi, friends. Good to see you. Good to be with you. So, um, this is the... The last um, day Dharma talk, besides the closing tomorrow, and uh, just wanted to say a few things that hopefully will will put this whole um, approach to practice into um, an understandable or into a, a bigger picture. Uh, and I, I first want to say that I I hope the retreat has been fruitful for you in whatever way, whatever your experience, and that um, we've offered talks and teachings that have been supportive for uh, your well-being, not just for yourself, but for everyone, everyone that you know. And um, want to say that all of the, the talks and instructions and, uh, and teachings uh, have been pointing towards, hopefully, true well-being. That's what the Buddha taught. He said, go for the real happiness. Kusala, the wholesome states, all these different wholesome states. And I thought I'd, uh, since I started out um, at the beginning of the retreat, sharing the basic principles and the first three of those wholesome states um, of the 10 that, that I've found particularly uh, practicable and inspiring um, that I put in what I thought of as a logical sequence in, um, in this approach to practice. I thought I'd round out the picture and touch on the others, uh, hopefully, particularly, uh, focusing on the, the last two, but touching a bit on each. And I, I hope it's, it's not too, uh, quick a ride to put a, a five month course, uh, into, uh, into an hour, but, um, wanted to touch these on uh, touch on these, uh, practices so you can hopefully keep them in mind in your, in your life. And we have touched on them. Um, the talks that you've heard uh, that Booker gave and, um, and Deborah and the uh, Brahma Viharas that Jane shared all have touched on them. You'll see as we go through them, uh, but it's always helpful to have a, a bigger context and see how they, how they fit. And I, I want to say that uh, this is not the, the right way to practice or the right way to hold the teachings. There's many ways. So this is just my arbitrary packaging the teachings in, in this way. And there's so many beautiful other paradigms and approaches to practice you know the Buddha was great on lists he had lists for everything so all of those lists were there for a reason and they all followed a a logical sequence as they're shared so this is my list okay but it's a it's my list of the Buddhist teachings Mm. and I first also want to acknowledge that besides the the buddhist teachings that i have been um heavily influenced as has been said a, a few times uh by um by the teachings the not even the, the spirit of um of maharaji neem karoli baba and uh, and ramdas who is one of my two main teachers and maybe i'll just uh for those who, who don't know, this is Neem Karoli Baba. I have pictures of him all over. Um, and uh, he's the he's the star of Be Here Now. You know, maybe you get a little hit just seeing his face. He's, he looks like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? Somebody you'd like to have as a good friend who sees everything about you and loves you. Um, and also want to honor in a big way um, my teacher as as Deborah has mentioned so here's Ramdas um, this is just a a few a month before he died. He's in a pretty happy space and his body is falling apart but there he is and um, he's in my lineage too so he's coming along with this ride, actually a main driver of this ride. And what I want to um, point out is that reading Be Here Now in 1970, 71, when it came out, changed my life. I, I was looking for something Um, and trying lots of different ways to find um, happiness and well-being. But when I read that book, Maharaji just leaped from the pages and and right into my heart. And one of his teachings that has been really central and is central to this course is um, a very simple line. He said, the best form to worship God is every form. The best form to worship God is every form. That's a pretty, pretty heavy teaching, that simple line, every form. What it translated for me in those early days was, I've got to just keep on looking for the good, because it's, it's too easy to get caught in my judgments and my, uh, my smallness and my, uh, insecurities and all the things like that. But if I keep on looking for the good, um, then that's going to be helping me to worship God in every form. Uh, and, um, it works. I've been doing it for about 40 no, 50 years now, and um, I, as, as is often the case, we're often the last of the, the subjects, uh, and that was that was um, very much my case too. But there's the lineage. Keep and, and if you don't take anything else from this, this retreat. I hope you remember to just keep looking for the good, even when it's hard to find. And that doesn't mean to be naive and and think, oh, everybody is my friend. And uh, you want to be really um, caring and have healthy boundaries and and be courageous and fierce when there's confusion um, that you are encountering but to keep looking underneath for that place that is, um, is the divine. When people say namaste in, in um, India, they're saying the, the divine in me greets, bows to the divine in you, where you and I are both one. So uh, to start on this journey, I want to read another non-Buddhist teaching that had a huge impact on me. That is, is another way to think of this course. This is from a book called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. It came out in the late 60s. Um, it's a very thin book, by the way. So um, it's perfect for for people who the, the title appeals to. Uh, written by Thaddeus Golis. And this is what he says. The basic function of each being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative. Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension, understanding, or whatever we wish to call it. When we're completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness of being one with all life. At that level, we have no resistance to any vibrations or interactions of other beings. It is timeless bliss with unlimited choice of consciousness, perception, and feeling. When a being is totally contracted, they are a mass particle completely imploded. To the degree that they are contracted, a being is unable to be in the same place with others, so contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. At an extreme, they have the feeling of being completely insane, of resisting everyone and everything, of being unable to choose the content of their consciousness, but of course these are just the feelings appropriate to this mass dense vibration of these levels and they can get out of them at any time by expanding by letting go of all resistance to what they think see or feel That's pretty much what the Buddha said as far as unwholesome and wholesome states those akusula, that are states of contraction, and the wholesome states, kusula, sp- states of expansion. And uh, something that I mentioned in one of the groups, I don't think I mentioned it in, in the uh, in the hall, I was going to say, our hall, um, is uh, sometimes, especially when it's awakening joy, people think, oh, I've got to just burst out and love the world and be doing somersaults and skipping through fields and daisies and, where uh, or we're, we're doing loving kindness practice. And oh God, my heart, my heart is so close. How can I burst it open? And here's a very, um, important understanding and principle that when we're contracted, even the slightest movement, towards relaxation and expansion is all you need. Don't go for a gusher. Then you just get attached or wanting, or no, I haven't gotten there. Just the slightest movement and enjoying that and seeing, oh, I'm softening, I'm lightening up. Oh, and just pay attention to that. And you keep on giving it life as we've been saying And whatever word, whether it's joy or well-being or ease or contentment or peace or just slight relaxation, release, you're going in the right direction. And what I think of as joy is um, authentically being with right where you are, authentically knowing where you are, feeling connected to it and out of that connection to being authentic, if you can have a kind heart as you do it, there's an aliveness that starts. And I love, again, in the, the Hindu teachings, uh, the bhakti path, um, where the word sat chit ananda is sometimes used. Maybe you've heard of that. There was a, a great yogi swami, Sat chit sat chit ananda sat is being. Chit is consciousness, like chitta, and ananda is bliss, often usually defined as bliss. And it's saying when when you are resting in your being and you're conscious of it, that naturally well-being um, is the, the third facet of that. Okay, so let's go through this this program. Remember I said at the beginning, the three principles of cultivating wholesome states along with a wholesome state, there's a gladness that naturally arises. Don't miss that. And then over time, as you frequently think and ponder upon or practice that becomes the inclination of the mind. And the first three that I mentioned were the intention to put well-being and happiness in the forefront, the purpose of life is to be happy, not just for yourself, but for other, for everyone. But intention is the start. Intention is what karma, all of karma comes from. Mindfulness is the tool of a joyful life because... You are weakening the unwholesome state, strengthening the wholesome. And when you're present for a wholesome state, it actually amplifies it. And that gratitude was the third one that I mentioned because it creates a much bigger container and context for all the ups and downs of life. The the first noble truth that there is suffering in life. Okay, so now the fourth in... This sequence is opening to the suffering, and uh, Booker gave a, a beautiful talk where she she spoke about how joy and and sorrow your your joy is your sorrow unmasked uh, that Gibran quote and talking about how people have come through difficulties and have a deepened understanding of reality if we're not afraid to if we somehow find the courage to open up to our sorrow little by little as much as we can handle we start to see we have the capacity to work with it whether it's self-compassion or being mindful of your uh of whatever state has arisen, or taking care of yourself if you need to balance. The Buddha talks about this very directly in one of my favorite teachings. You can Google this if you'd like, called Transcendental Dependent Arising. This is a great essay that Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote. And in this teaching, the Buddha says, He starts with suffering, and he says suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. Faith can lead, not necessarily, but can lead to gladness. Gladness can lead to joy. Joy can lead to happiness, concentration, and higher states of peace all the way to enlightenment. But he starts out with suffering. He says, suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. You say, how could that be? How can suffering lead to faith? Let me just ask, and for those who have their cameras on, we can see, um, look back on your own journey and see how many people have been motivated by some suffering in their life to look for deeper answers and meaning to make sense of this life. Just wanna take a look. I thought so. That's how it works because suffering shakes us out of our complacency. You know, going along thinking, oh, everything is all right. And then, whoa, that happens. And how do I make sense of this? And most everybody has come to practice out of some suffering or sorrow or pain in their life, looking for answers. It certainly is true of me. And I could raise my hand up there too. So when you have difficulties and sorrows and suffering, not to think, oh, this This must be some terrible mistake. And I I want to acknowledge that some people's share of suffering is, is different from others, not only within their own life, but because of uh, systemic racism and marginalization and all of those um, crazy things that are in this culture. But, those often, those people are the ones that have a deeper joy because sorrow is carved into their being, as Gibran says. And I'm thinking of the two people that I think of who are, embody joy. Uh, perhaps you can think of somebody who embodies joy and, and you might come up with one of the same people as me. The Dalai Lama. How many people thought of the Dalai Lama? Uh, and the other is Desmond Tutu, Bishop Tutu. And they, they got together and wrote a book called the book of joy. Both of those people have seen more sorrow and suffering than we could imagine. Desmond Tutu, the architect of the truth and reconciliation of healing from apartheid, uh, uh, after South America, uh, ruled out apartheid. Hearing the most horrific stories. The Dalai Lama, almost every day when he's receiving people, if he's in India, uh, in Dharamsala, he's hearing stories of of torture and unspeakable uh, suffering. And yet, they embody joy. How is that possible? Because they open to the suffering. They're not afraid of it. And it doesn't stick with them. It moves through them. And then they can laugh. And I've seen the Dalai Lama. If you've been around him, you probably have seen this too. He can be weeping at hearing somebody's story. And 15 minutes later, giggling at something else. So we have a can have a different... Um, relationship to suffering, if we are not afraid of it and realize, oh, this is what deepens me. This is what helps me grow. And just as a one quick exercise before we move on, I would like to invite you to think for a moment. If you want close your eyes, think of a, a challenging situation or a difficult period in your life that you've been through, you've gone through. What lessons did you learn from life by going through that experience? How did it help you grow in some way? What was the gem or the gift in going through that passage? And now... um, I'm going to uh, open the chat room and we'll just take a, a moment if you, in a, just a couple of words, if you'd like to share your lesson from your suffering. We won't have time for everyone's, but just see how this works, how life works. Go right, ahead, take a moment. Yeah, I already opened it. Yeah, everyone, Yeah. Uh What lessons did you learn? You can't control anyone. Yeah, thank you. Healthy boundaries. And right, I want to move along, so just get these. I am a survivor. Trust in my own capacity. Continue getting up. Proof of my own strength, seeing the capacity for others to show love take one, one more I exist therefore I belong I belong beautiful we could spend a lot of time with all of, of this okay that's that's enough for the, for now for the chat and I'll I'll uh, close it I'll just have it for host and we'll move on so gratitude creates the context the space to allow us to hold, all the sorrow and the pain There's the 10,000 joys and there's the 10,000 jor- sorrows, and they're both part of life. The next, the, the fifth in this sequence is another teaching by the Buddha. And, and Booker talked about this in her talk on the bliss of blamelessness, the bliss of blamelessness really, um, being aligned with your values, acting with integrity. The the Buddha has a a quote. Let me see if I can find it here quickly. Um, He says, for one who leads a virtuous life, it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law that joy will arise. And in that teaching, he keeps on going up and up all the way to full enlightenment. For one who has a joyful heart, it is a natural law that... Happiness, concentration, peace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, will arise. So, living aligned with your values is a huge, is the foundation for well being. Sila, Samadhi, Panya, the, in the Eightfold Path, right? Speech, action, and livelihood are the foundation for the meditation training and for our developing wisdom. In, uh, in our journey. And every moment you're planting seeds that will either lead to more suffering or more happiness by how aligned you are or not aligned with um, your actions, either not causing suffering or causing suffering in the world. So the precepts that we took at the very beginning are the foundation of this process and practice, as the Buddha said. That's why we start the retreat with taking the precepts. But of course, we're not saints. So we might blow it from time to time or time to time to time. Uh, Certainly in my younger years, it was time to time to time to time Uh, But as long as you're facing in the right direction, uh, that's what counts. And if you are dwelling in the past of what I did and letting it run you now out of guilt or shame or, or regret, this serves no one. The Buddha, in one beautiful discourse to his son Rahula, advice to rahula uh, majima number 61 he says if you if you've done something unskillful take a look and instead of guilt apply wise remorse where you see oh this what this is what happened with this action and he says confess to a friend, if you can make amends these days, always is huge. And even more important, know that you've learned something from it. As one of my uh, inspirations, uh, Julia Butterfly Hill says, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. So you might for a moment before we go on and uh, we'll do another little Uh, exercise. Okay. And um, think of when you tend to act unskillfully, and you say, press that send button on the email, and then later you say, oh my goodness, that wasn't so good. Uh, Or you snap at somebody or you do something that you, that you regret. What's going on inside of you that would make you do that? That you later say, Oh, gee, I shouldn't have done that. Or it doesn't feel so good. What goes inside of you? And usually if you reflect on it, We're tired, we're stressed, we are impatient, we are hurt. Something has touched us in a place that happened 15 years ago. We're disappointed, whatever it is. But for that period, generally, if we later regret it, then we are temporarily out of our mind as, uh, as it's sometimes said. We are in what Paul Ekman calls a refractory period where we go offline and we, we're not thinking straight. And later we say, oh, what was I thinking? Uh, and people do things that can put them in, in jail or for the next 40 years beating themselves up for something that they did when they were out of their mind. Now, think of times when you tend to act skillfully and you got that choice point. Hmm, should I or shouldn't I click the send button on the email? Well, maybe not. Okay. What's going on for you there? What helps you stay aligned with your values? And yeah, maybe we can, I'll open up uh, the chat again. And if you'd like, uh, just put a couple of uh, pieces of wisdom in there. What helps you stay connected with your values? If you like, you can enter something in the chat box. Co-regulation, patience, kindness towards myself. Rested, yes. It's so much harder to be skillful when you're stressed. Feeling secure, awareness of greater good, pausing, considering the target, Remember, remembering everyone is on their own path, leading with my heart, commitment, caring. Beautiful, okay. I'm going to close the chat now for a moment. So you see, you have the wisdom right inside of you. It's not like you need to, you know, have a lesson. I, I remember there was this um, this beautiful passage from Robert Fulger, Everything I need to needed to learn, I, I learned in kindergarten. It's a, it's a great passage, something like that, you know. Because in kindergarten, what did they say? Pay attention. You hear hear that? Pay attention now. Yeah, that helps. Be nice. Yeah, that's basically the whole of the Dharma path. Pay attention and be nice. There's a whole lot of other things that go in that passage. But we know it inside if we can listen to it. And what I find helpful is when we're at that choice point, just think after this deed is done a week from now or six months from now or 10 minutes from now, looking back, how am I going to feel about this? Because we're we're quick to hit the the the, mm, the impulse, act on the impulse, and there's so much cleaning up later to do. But if we can t- go ahead in the future and say, oh, I'm gonna save myself a whole lot of grief if I don't do that. So anyway, that's the fifth is living with integrity, okay? And whichever of these land for you, you might say, oh, maybe I'll take that as, a, as a, a central practice. Okay, so this leads us to the sixth. Out of not acting on our impulses, the sixth is what has also been mentioned here, the joy of letting go. this has come up a few times and this is really moving from the second noble truth the cause of suffering is attachment to the third noble truth the end of suffering is letting go of our attachments letting go of the control that we never had in the first place and letting go expresses itself In a few different areas, one is on the physical plane, letting go of stuff. By the way, if this is all too much to remember, um, it's all in my book. So you can go in depth there. Letting go of the wanting mind. Oh, this is going to make me happy. And we better figure this out, friends, because the world is burning because we are consumers. You are seen as a consumer by madmen, Madison Avenue or whatever you think of it. You're being marketed to continuously. And if we can let go of acting on that wanting mind, and I, I like my toys, and I like my experiences. This doesn't mean you have to put on robes and uh, and be a monk, but there's the wisdom of moderation, matanuta, it's called in the teachings, knowing how much is just enough, where your desires are met with satisfaction and you don't need more, and contentment with little as as um, uh, Booker was mentioning that Nekama renunciation, the joy of simplicity and that letting go is on the physical plane. It's also on the, on the um, activity plane as well. That is the disease of busyness More happens with stuff and it happens with our mm, activity. Here you come to the retreat. Oh, thank goodness, you know, I didn't need to answer at all my email. It's waiting for, for you. Don't worry, it'll be there. But what a relief. And to see that when you take some time out to rejuvenate, to refresh yourself that you're actually much more effective and much more productive. This is from Peace Pilgrim, who is, if I can find it here. Yeah, a wise uh, 20th century American sage who lived the last 30 years of her life just with a toothbrush. She'd, and she was a wanderer, an ascetic, and she has incredible... Teachings. People would take her in and they'd say, Oh, teach us. And she says, If your life is in harmony with your part in the life pattern, if you're obedient to the laws which govern this universe, then your life is full and good, but not overcrowded. If it is overcrowded, you're doing more than is right for you to do. More than is your job to do in the total scheme of things. Wow, radical. Hmm. You might say, I've got a busy life. I don't have time to be quiet, to refresh myself. The Dalai Lama, who's a pretty busy guy, he takes, I think it's four hours every morning to do his spiritual practices. If he can fit it in, we can fit in 20 minutes of sitting from time to time or take our mental breaks and a few mindful breaths when we find ourselves getting caught up. So it's mindfulness of or letting go of stuff, of busyness. And another thing that was mentioned was letting go of the stories that run us. This is how we get caught. We get attached to those stories. My main practice, people who've sat with me know it, and I write about this. My main practice when I get lost or caught, if I can remember, is just asking myself, what thought am I believing right now? Or What story am I believing right now? Because if I can see through just that pattern that I've contracted around, it bursts the, the prison. And if we can see a thought just as a thought, it, the Tibetans have this, this notion of, if you don't mess around with thoughts, they self liberate. They just unravel on their own. You might have seen that in the meditation. You're getting caught, oh, and then you say, oh, I'm just frightening myself. Oh, that's just a thought. Thoughts are as real as we believe them to be or as empty as we see them to be. Where do they come from? Who knows? Where do they go? Who knows? Joseph Goldstein has a great practice, by the way, that has helped me very much. He says, if you're in a meditation hall and you're having thoughts that are bothersome, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. It's a great practice. You don't have to blame yourself. Oh, God, what an ugly thought that was. Oh, there you go again. Oh, it just you know, you picked up the radio waves, you know, I hope you're well, you know, I hope you get better for all intents and purposes. That's as much ownership as you need to take. They come out of nowhere and they go into nowhere. If you let them just self liberate. So it's letting go of thoughts, letting go of beliefs, Let me just ask you for a moment before we go on, what story, you might take a a moment, go in. Think of ways that somehow you make yourself small or frighten yourself. What story do you carry or do you believe that limits you? And what would it be like if you could see it as just a story and not be hooked by it? What would you need to understand or remember in order to let it go? If there's some story that's coming to you. You might just jot it down and question it when it comes up in your life. And work with seeing, oh, as uh, Byron Katie says, is that true? Is that really true? Oh, what if I turned it around? Because it's all how we hold things in a moment We can have another thought, another perspective, and there it is, you see, you see clearly. And then one last aspect of of letting go is um, the most beautiful expression of letting go. We spoke about it earlier today, generosity. That's the letting go that also helps you feel connected to others, to everyone around. So I have to move on. Every one of these, of course, you could do a whole retreat on. So I um, hope it's not too much of a whirlwind for you. The seventh of these wholesome states, after the joy of letting go, and particularly follows from letting go of our stories, is... Seeing who you really are, and learning to love yourself. And Deborah gave a beautiful talk on that last night. Um, I'm sure she wasn't the only one. Well, she she asked for a show of hands. How how curious it is that we're the the last ones to to see who we are. Mm. I was just, I'll tell you, just an inside thing. I, I just went for a walk before I, I gave the talk and listened. Lately, I've been listening to uh, one of my favorite old groups, the Moody Blues. <clears throat> Great group. Big part of my Dharma understanding. And there, I was listening to this album. It's on Question of Balance, the, the song question. It says, the one line in there that came on a retreat and had me, had me in tears i can kind of feel right now says um and when you stop and think about it you won't believe it's true that all the love you've been giving has all been meant for you that's what we have to learn that to exclude ourselves from the love that we want to share with everybody else is a tremendous misunderstanding. There's a a line I love from um, The Course in Miracles, a beautiful Christian body of wisdom. It says, um, believing in your littleness is arrogant, Because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. What makes you think that you somehow don't belong in this universe? Everything else is part of the fabric of the universe, but somehow you're not good enough. Great mistake. This is Derek Walcott that a uh, fantastic poet, West Indian um, uh, poet. Love after love. You probably know this many people. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror. And each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger Who was yourself? Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror, sit, feast on your life. This is a key step in awakening joy. There's before and after, and it's a process. It's not like all of a sudden you you get it, although there can be profound moments in it. I had a profound moment. We might go beyond the hour. I can just see, so uh, I hope that's okay. Um, I had a profound moment that I want to then invite you to experience for yourself on one meta retreat uh, I was doing six weeks of metta and uh, or six weeks of Brahma Viharas. And the first week was metta for self. And I was doing it. May I be safe? May I be happy? All of that. And it was going okay. It wasn't great, but I wasn't giving myself a hard time. But halfway through the week, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. I didn't know why, but I, it was clear that, well, that person really loves me. And I thought to myself, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they saw. And that's when I magically connected the dots. And I said, well, what do they see anyway? And it changed. It was a, a, a landmark moment in my, in my meditation and in my life, seeing myself through someone else's eyes. So I'd like to share this with you as a little bit of a, an exercise. Okay. This, if you do this, this will require, uh, or it it makes it very different if you put on your camera, uh, because you're going to be looking at yourself and pinning yourself. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay. You can do it from the inside, but It's pretty powerful if you do it this way, and this is what I call the mirror practice. Only with Zoom, it's so much easier. Okay, so if you can pin yourself, I'm doing that with me right now. You can, uh, uh, or maybe uh, I'm going to remove remove. If you can pin yourself, yeah, even with the spotlight. Okay, and uh, first, close your eyes for a moment. And think of somebody who really, really loves you. And it can be a a pet. It can be your dog or your cat, if nobody else comes to mind. It can be um, a dear friend. It can be a mentor. It could be somebody from your past. Just get in touch with someone who you share a really warm, loving connection with. And first feel that sweet flow that you share. And now imagine that your consciousness can float into their reality and inhabit their reality and look or imagine looking through their eyes to see who they see when they're with their friend. What do they see? You can have your eyes closed as you do this. Notice all the different qualities, you know, peel, peel your, get to know the self that has loved you all along. What shines through maybe your kindness or your playfulness or your creativity. Oh, to pin yourself, go to the upper right-hand corner of your square. Sorry. Click the three dots and click on pin. Thank you, Maria Christina. What touches them about you? Drink yourself in. And from their perspective, do you think that They wish you well and think you deserve to be happy. Just imagine them sending those thoughts to you. Oh, I hope you see who you really are. Let whatever your experience is be just the way it is. It's okay. If this doesn't come easily, just hold it all with with metta. But if you see those qualities, just delight in them. And now imagine your consciousness can come right back and from the inside, stay connected to those qualities. And now you can open your eyes and see who is staring back at you. You might see, oh, there's wrinkles or there's that or whatever, go deeper. See who this person is. Stay connected to those qualities. Hmm. It's okay. See your goodness. See what would make you want to sign up for an awakening joy retreat or any kind of meditation retreat. See what your friend sees. If you would smile, and I guarantee you're going to get a smile back. Go ahead, try it. I guarantee it. If you don't let me know. Hi. And smile and just say hi. Hi. Hi there. Don't miss what everyone else sees. Okay. You can, you can remove your pin if you like. I would really recommend, um, doing mirror practice, get to know yourself. When I saw myself, it wasn't like I was some kind of amazing human being. It was just kind of, you know, you're okay. That was it. That was all I needed. You know, you're really a decent guy. Oh, wow. I don't have to prove my worth to be here. So this is a key a key piece, it's before and after, because as you get who you are, then you don't have to be wondering, am I okay? From everyone else, that beautiful Dogen teaching, where he says, um, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. in That Zen cryptic way. What does that mean? To study Buddhism is to study the self. When you're practicing, this is your laboratory to understand the human experience. To study the self is to forget the self. Once you kind of see who you really are, you don't have to be so self-absorbed or self-involved. Ah, to forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Then you have room to connect with everybody. So, get to make friends with yourself. It's such a key to this whole deal. Don't exclude yourself from what you'd give to everyone. That quote that that Deborah read, you know, seeing uh, that nobody is more worthy of loving kindness than, than you. Okay, this moves us to connection with others. As you feel more connected with yourself, and it's not a linear thing, but this is the a natural outflow, then you feel more connected with others, which is such a profound source of our joy. It's the most powerful source of our joy and of our sorrow as well, when we don't feel connected. We're social animals and we... When we have love, we thrive. When we feel disconnected, we can feel that our hearts are broken or lonely. That's one of the hard things about this pandemic, the isolation and the loneliness has been really um, a passage for everyone to, to come to terms with. And often the people closest to us are the ones that we can have the most challenges with it does often work that way doesn't it and so it's just holding somehow a different way so that our heart our pained or our hurt heart doesn't doesn't block our our own love and the uh, the near enemy of, connect, of, of metta is attachment, where we want something from someone. Okay. For instance, uh, take, a, take a moment to think of someone really important to you. And just think of how it is when you're just wishing them well. Oh, have them in your mind right now. Maybe have an image of them smiling Saying, I want you to know, I really want you to be happy. I really do. Notice how that feels. And now think of times when you want something from them, when you don't want them to disappoint you. Oh, please don't blow it. Don't disappoint me. Notice how that feels. When you have an agenda for them. I won't leave you here. Take a nice breath. And once again, just see them smiling back at you. And get in touch with how much you really do want them to be happy. I really do. May you be happy. I love seeing you happy. And notice how that feels. Just with one thought contraction or expansion. Okay, you can open your eyes. And this is where looking for the good really makes a difference. Because the more you look for it, the more you actually bring it out of, of others. As you know, when you sense that somebody is looking at you and they're judging you or they're angry with you, whatever, you feel small but when you sense that they're seeing your goodness and they want you to be happy. Ah, so we have a power over others. So connection with others, whether it's, um, meta or mudita as, as Jane did yesterday, uh, or play Evelyn's been so great, you know, just helping us play. And when you, if you work and play well with others, it's not just for, third grade. It's for every, everything in life. Play. And then you can share that, that joy together. So this then leads to um, the ninth of these 10 wholesome states. And that is the, a further connection. That's the compassionate heart. As the Dalai Lama says, if you want to be happy, practice compassion. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. It's the same. Whoops. How did I just uh, miss it? I just lost the screen here. It's here. There we are back again. Okay. Compassion. We are wired up to connect. Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology, he says authentic happiness. He wrote a book called authentic happiness comes from identifying your own gifts and giving them in a spirit of contribution to the world. The joy of serving the joy of relieving Suffering and bringing happiness to others. And if you see your practice in that, in that dimension, in that context, it makes all the difference in the world. So I wanted to do a a practice with you on compassionate action or compassion i should say and seeing your context your your practice in this context this is uh in tibetan it's called having the bodhisattva ideal that your practice is for the benefit the welfare of others and i had this experience with myself uh many years ago i think i did I mention that here? No, in Queen's College, no some, I don't think I did here. Um, when I was in my in college, my it was I was around 19 at the time, and I went through a very depressing period. I was reading a lot of existential philosophy where life didn't really have a meaning and you know, you're, you're born, you suffer and then you die, and what's the point? And uh, I wasn't fun to talk to very much. Uh, but one day in the Queens college cafeteria, I looked at the sea of humanity. It's a really large cafeteria. And it occurred to me, everybody here just wants to be happy. No matter some people were having a party. Some people were alone. Some people were studying some people. Everybody wanted to be happy. And I thought to myself in this very memorable moment well, if I can bring a little bit more happiness into the world, maybe that would give my life meaning. I didn't know about Bodhisattva vows, but that was my Bodhisattva vow. I didn't know how I how to get there, but I saw a direction. Okay, this is what could give my life meaning. And I wanna invite you to Take your own version of, your, of a bodhisattva vow in this compassionate action. Only you know. So close your eyes for a moment. And you can make your own version of this vow, seeing that your practice is an offering, a gift to others. And the basic principle is seeing that your happiness and your gifts uh, can benefit others. So take a few moments and ask yourself, what words would sincerely convey that wish in a way that uplifts your heart? might say something like, may my happiness be of benefit or lead to the happiness of others. You put it in your words. And when you found the the right phrase, say it silently as a promise to yourself. This is your direction. This is what will give your practice true meaning. Don't worry about the timetable or the, the report card. Just know this is where there's true happiness to give your gifts. How can you put in a few words how your practice might be of benefit to others. And if you make that promise to yourself, feel the power of it inside in your heart. And when you like, you can open your eyes. If you did come up with a few words, you might just jot them down. So now we're coming to the, the last, the 10th the after compassion. You might think, what can come after compassion? Well, these last two could be switched around, but this is what comes to mind Um, mm, can folks share theirs? Yeah, we could take a moment. Sure. Uh, why don't you, if you'd like, you don't, don't feel you have to, but you can put yours, your Bodhisattva vow if you want it to be witnessed and everybody can support you. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we'll go for the for the 10th. Maybe we'll, we we won't do that now cuz uh, we're, we're going along. May my creativity bring happiness to others. Beautiful. What else? Okay. Well, I I'm, I'm going to stop it here. Uh, Nanette, thank you for sharing and we're all we're all cheering you on. You're witnessed by 50 people. So um, thank you. The last one is what I call the joy of simply being. And we did it a bit this morning in that big mind meditation. All the others, all the other nine are cultivating something. But the 10th one is to just relax and be and move from doing to being. instead of becoming ah settle into this moment right here right now and with this being comes the deepest peace you don't have to do anything to show your worth there's a, a kind of trusting in life and a surrendering a trusting that allows life to support you. The image that I have of it is uh, learning to swim. You know, you were when you remember when you first were learning to swim, somebody would put you in the pool and they say, Oh, just relax and you know, tread water. And you're going up and down, you're saying, Relax, what do you mean? I'm going up and down here. And then you then you learn to trend water. Oh, well, that's much better. And then there's that magical moment where you stop doing anything and you realize the water was ready to hold you up all along going from flailing to floating I call it and the more you can show up and then let life support you the more you get in touch that in harmony with life and you hear the wisdom right inside of you because in that flailing we're too busy trying to come up with the answers and in that floating we can hear the truth right inside of us we can hear the buddha or kuan yin or that or the kingdom of heaven right inside of you so this is the 10th and really what the buddha was talking about when you let go of all doing and simply be and be present with an open heart, you are no longer in the way. And it's just life expressing itself through you. Awareness knowing itself. This is, I'll, I'll end with this beautiful poem that points to this. Awareness knowing itself. This is by Dana Falls. This joy of simply being. She says, settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward, just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. I'll read it one last time. Settle in the here and now, reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief, flood into every cell, nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward just this breath awareness, knowing itself as embodiment, just this breath, awareness, Waking up to truth. So, this is the joy of simply being. So, with all of these 10, I hope you get it's a hologram. You can enter from any which way, and they all lead to well being and cultivate all the others. So, with that, we can just take a moment and uh, let the words settle. So thank you for your attention. Apologies for keeping you after class and uh, hope that it was useful for you. So enjoy your, your dinner or whatever you're, you're doing and, um, and we'll come back for the Brahma Vihara at seven and uh, Jane's going to lead, a I think, a lovely Brahma Vihara. So um, see you later. Be well.